episode 11 of the smoking steak podcast as always you've got both your hosts here tonight i am peter joined by enric enric how are you pretty good peter how about you i am doing pretty well it was a really exciting week in uh brazilian football we had a champion crowned uh of the copa do brazil and we had a lot of exciting uh football played in the brasileirao um this is match week 32, so we're getting to the business end of the season, as they say. Um, just six games to go. Um, still a lot to play for, uh, both in the Bejadores spots and Sudamericana spots, and then, of course, the relegation battle. Nothing is settled there, and there's a lot of excitement. Uh, but we'll start at the top of the table. Flamengo versus Atletico Mineiro. Uh, Flamengo end up getting the win in Maracanã. Um where, where they would play the Copa do Brazil final uh, just a, a few days later. Enric, what did you think of this one? Um, it was a top top clash, on paper at least, but Flamengo went with kind of a rotated side. Uh, what did you think of that that side and, and how they performed against a, a strong, at least again on paper, Gallo team? Yeah, two great teams who, whenever they come up against each other, they're always going to try and score goals. But unfortunately, we didn't have many in this match. Flamengo was kind of playing a warm-up game in our, their home stadium ahead of their Copa do Brasil final. And it was Everton Sabolinha who got a header inside the box in the first half and gave Flamengo the lead. And a couple of minutes later, uh, Everton uh, made a great, uh, created a great opportunity again, which was saved by Everson. And overall, there was nothing to see really from, from the Roosters in the first half. But they definitely woke up in the second and were unable to find the equalizer. Huge credit to Santos, who has done really great for Flamengo in recent performances as a goalkeeper. Yeah, Santos was great in that second half, and and you you pretty much covered it. Uh, Sabalinha, of course, looking good. Um, he hasn't always performed great for Flamengo. But uh, he's coming back into form, and he had a great header. And uh, like you mentioned, he had a he had an opportunity a couple minutes later that was that was pushed away um, by Everson, the the Atletico Mineiro keeper. Um, uh, Gallo, very very rocky form. Um, just two wins in their last five, um, and it's again a case of the same story being told about Gallo. Um, Great team on paper, uh, great players. We know they have the technical ability. They they have elite scores and, and players. Uh, chances coming from Pavon, Hulk, Zaracho, Nacho Fernandez, but they couldn't find the goal. And there's been a few games where we've discussed this Gallo team. Just they're getting all the chances, or not all of them in this case, but lots of chances, and uh, they just can't can't get it done. So. Uh, just another disappointing result for them. Um, they are currently, as things sit, in a Copa Sudamericana spots. Um, they um, 
are, we're looking to take advantage of some of Atharico's, uh, you know, poor form. Um, but uh, but no such luck as they have plenty of poor form of their own. Um, Flamengo uh, sitting pretty in third now. So um, that's the uh, that's the state of things after after that big clash. Um, another top tier um, game at this weekend, Palmeiras and Sao Paulo, big Paulista Derby. Um, and two teams, that you could maybe say don't have a ton to play for. Uh, Palmeiras pretty much locking up the league. They look to be on cruise control in Sao Paulo. Doesn't look like they're going to be able to push for a Libertadores spot comfortably in uh, Sudamericana um, uh, qualifying. Enric, what do you think of this, this derby? If the last game that I, we mentioned was a big game with Flamengo coming up at Atletico Mineiro, this one was even bigger for the fact that Two teams are coming, uh, playing against each other from the same state, which we normally see in the Campeonato Paulista. And uh, both teams started the game really well. It was Sao Paulo, actually, who began attacking with both Reynaldo and Caleri, who were very close to scoring. So a pretty balanced game in the first half by both sides. And then uh, at the end of the first half, Ferraresi's red card changed the game a bit. Who The player who elbowed uh, the opponent in the neck uh, got a straight red card, which I, my, in my opinion could have been reversed by the referee. It was a little harsh for him to go uh, out of the game in the first 45 minutes for that challenge. And uh, more action was in the four minutes of added time than the entire match, which was pretty surprising. Uh, as soon as the Sao Paulo player got the red card, Palmeiras just began attacking even more and trying to find the goal. And then after the handball by a Sao Paulo player, a penalty was awarded to Palmeiras with Scarpa, who missed it. A great save by Felipe Alves, the goalkeeper for Sao Paulo, who, in my opinion, deserves a man of the match. He did really great, not only there, but also in the 10 minutes at a time in which Palmeiras had a lot of opportunities to score. Uh, Endrick almost got in there and the Sao Paulo player tackled him, the last man to find uh, Endrick and got a red card. So Sao Paulo was playing with two players out and against 11 from Palmeiras and the point seemed crucial for them. They were desperate to get that point in the game and which they finally got. So not a bad result for Palmeiras uh, who are leading the table, but they would have rather won the game than tied in this occasion. Yeah, absolutely. And and you figure with with the red card for most of the game, you thought Palmeiras would surely find a way all the attacking talent um, that they had. Um, just going back to what you said, I thought the, the beginning of the game was excellent. Both teams trading chances um, and kind of the stars for, for both team, both teams uh, um, looking like they were really up for a, a big, big derby. Uh, the red card did kind of kill that. I did think it was harsh. Uh, um, I thought Danilo really dropped pretty quickly and uh, Ferraheze uh, maybe didn't deserve a red. Um, on the flip side, I did think, you know, it was uh, it was definitely stupid given mm -hmm. that it was an offensive corner for Sao Paulo when it happened. And, um, and uh, I think, you know, given Palmeiras's uh status in the league and that they're just basically wrapping up the league at this point so, sao paulo 
may have had the opportunity to uh, to take some points off them. So, um, or or get three all, all three points. So, so that's uh, that was a missed opportunity in my opinion. Also, um, like you mentioned, Felipe Alves was excellent for for Sao Paulo. Um, really, really, really good performance from him. And and you mentioned the Scarpa uh, pen, but he also stopped Scarpa uh, maybe ten minutes early. Uh, ten minutes earlier. Um, so Scarpa definitely will have uh, will have nightmares uh, about Felipe Alves um, going forward. So. Uh, no goals, but an entertaining, um, entertaining match to say the least. Um, and also, like Enric said, Andrick, uh, <laughs> getting some some time um, uh, at the end of the match. Um, so always good to see that from from a kid who looks like he's going to be uh, definitely in the Salasau in in the coming years. So awesome yeah, I wonder. I wonder how many uh, games it's going to take him to find the first goal with Palmeiras, the first professional goal. So that would be exciting news. And as you said earlier with uh, Felipe Alves, every time Sao Paulo plays, I kind of think of the podcast we had with uh, Alex, who mentioned uh, how Sao Paulo need a keeper, but uh, Felipe Alves has been doing pretty good recently. And I think he is on loan from Fortaleza, a surprising team who produced this goalkeeper and this talent for Sao Paulo. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like like Alexandre was saying, that, that he thought the keeper was the position they needed to to improve on. And and after that match, I mean, you would not think that. Um, and, and also just, yeah, Hendrik, we're, we're really hoping that that first goal comes and uh, comes soon. And with Palmeiras, basically, you know, just – the rest of the season as a formality. Hopefully he's going to get lots more opportunities to, to play big roles, um, especially in the starting lineup uh, for Palmeiras as they uh, wrap up the season. So um, great action in, um, in Sao Paulo. Um, and we'll move to the, uh, to the other uh, big city of Brazil to Rio uh, for another entertaining game against two teams that are again, um, in uh, in the top half or thereabouts of the table, uh, Botafogo dropping the points, all three of them, uh, to Internacional. Um, although that does not mean that they were the um, the worst side here. Enric, what did you see in this match? And despite Botafogo's best efforts, how were Internacional able to win? Yeah, in this game, uh, every time I see Botafogo playing at home, I, it kind of reminds me of the game they had a couple of weeks ago against Palmeiras when they scored goal with Chiquinho Suarez mm -hmm. and how beautiful their tactic is in building up the attack. And they did, they had a solid performance, although they couldn't score. They dominated well. And even the, the goal that was scored by Inter in the middle of the second half was lucky for the away team as they shot two or three times and the Botafogo keeper Roberto Fernandez was on the ground as, and unable to do anything. So at the end of the day, the three points is important for Inter who are still fighting for that second spot and not as bad uh, of a performance by Botafogo, even though they lost. Yeah, I thought it was a great performance from Botafogo. Lots of chances. Uh, Chiquinho, like you said, was excellent as he has been. 
uh, for Botafogo. And, and we, we mentioned last week about him stepping up um, and filling some big shoes left by Arison. Um, Eduardo as well with a big chance uh, in the opening phase of the match. Um, and I thought Botafogo were the better team overall, but um, the better team doesn't always win. And in fact, one of the uh, you know key through lines that you see with really, really good teams is even when they are the worst team on the pitch, they still get results. And that's you saw that with Inter here. Um, like you mentioned, the uh, a bit of luck, uh, a little pinball action in the uh, in the box uh, for uh, Inter Ed Nielsen causing havoc. Uh, he shoots um, and the shot gets blocked and it falls perfectly for the for the Argentine Brian Romero, um, who uh, makes no mistake and uh, 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 shoots it right into the net like a cannon. Um, so. Inter looking pretty comfortable in second place. They're five points ahead of Flamengo, um, despite being eight points behind uh, league leaders Palmeiras, of course. So, so they look a great team, um, and you'll we'll we'll have to wait till next year to see if they can uh, put up a legitimate uh, title challenge. Um, yeah, Inter is a great team, and I remember when they came back from Serie B a couple of years ago. I think twenty twenty. Uh, the fact that the year before they had, they had been relegated and then now that they got promoted back to Serie A, they almost uh, challenged, I believe, Flamengo for the league title. And it was the very last game uh, where they needed to win. They couldn't against Sao Paulo. And I remember Flamengo players finishing their game 0-0 and watching Gabigol and many others watching uh, the game in their own stadium from the phone and hoping yeah. that uh, Inter would miss the opportunity to get three points. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, that was a wild end of the season. And I think that was 2019. Right. And yeah, I believe not. in that game, uh, Edge Nielsen scored a goal that ended up being off sides. And there was a lot of um, looking. Um, I don't know if there was VAR back then. There must've been, but there was a lot of, hand wringing and and uh it, they were so close to that title and they just couldn't get it over the line it was flamengo's year and and credit to flamengo they were a great team but uh yeah inter have been so close they've been at the at the cusps for so long it'd be nice to see them you know genuinely uh be up there with flamengo palmeras and and the other big teams uh once again so um Lots to look forward to if you are an Internacional fan. Um, we'll move on uh, to, again, uh, one of the the, the bigger teams uh, in the league, Fluminense. They brush off Avaí uh, to the tune of a 3-0 victory. Um, Bissoli kept quiet, um, and Avaí uh, continued to sink lower in the um uh in the standings uh and and despite maybe Avaí's hopes uh uh that due to Fluminense's recent form um nothing doing for them so Enric what did you see in this and do you think that Avaí had any reason to be optimistic about this match yeah, if there was any reason for them to fight in this game it would have been uh Fluminense's recent results which they lost both games, one away against uh, Atletico Guayaniense 
And then the next game, I believe against Juventuji at home. I could be wrong though. And that gave them uh, a reason to believe and to fight, but there was no way the scoreboard 3-0 uh, explains itself how the game went with Herman Cano getting the opener after the ball hit the crossbar and Vladimir was on the ground, unable to do anything. And honestly, that was probably the easiest goal for the Argentinian who could score in the competition. And then he is at the moment able uh, with 18 goals, I think one goal more than Pedro Raul, and probably Herman Cano is going to be the winner for the goal scoring in this this year's Brasile Rao. And two more goals later by da uh, David Braz. I think he's a former Santos player. And then Martinelli, both goals were assisted by John Arias, who had a great game. And uh, a 3-0 result surely insurance Fluminense the win uh, the three points against the uh, Hawaii side who is heading to Serie B next year yeah yeah absolutely uh Hawaii look destined for second division football they've lost five games in a row um and I don't see them climbing out of the relegation battle um uh like you said Herman Cano uh excellent performance um even though he he just had the one easy goal um he had a few opportunities um early in the game um and vladimir stopped him spectacularly uh twice um so really good stuff from vladimir who uh in addition to david braz is a, a former santos player and um and, and started quite a few games for santos if uh, if memory serves me correctly uh, another um, pupil of the great goalkeeping coach Arzul. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, just a dominant performance, much more than, uh, or much more what we're used to seeing from Fluminense. Um, and uh, Avei, despite them having a few chances and looks in the second half, um, they they can't seem to, to break through. Um, Enric, uh, given how things stand now, um, Fluminense looks like they're going to comfortably uh, uh, finish in a Libertadores spot. Um, do you think that maybe next year that they'll be able to uh, challenge for the title? They might. And even this year, there were great contenders who I believe tied the first game of the competition at home against Santos. But yeah, these kind of teams, Palmeiras, Inter, Flamengo, Fluminense, Corinthians, Santos, and probably many others, every year people expect them to win the competition or other competitions in uh, Brazil and South America. But we'll see what happens. And I believe they have a pretty good chance to do so. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely see. I mean, the more t title challengers, the more entertaining uh, for all us that uh, that love uh, the action, the Brasile Um All right, so we will uh, move on uh, to uh, a big uh, derby, Atletico Paranaense and Coritiba, the Coritiba Derby here. Um, despite the action-packed headline here that you might expect, uh, Enric, did a lot happen in this match? No, I don't think much <laughs> happened during this game, although Atletico Paranaense created so many opportunities, maybe more than 10, but they couldn't find that goal, which came in the 89th minute by Alex Santana. 
They were very lucky. Uh, the goal was, in fact, pretty amazing. Uh, shot hit outside the box on the bottom right uh, side of the keeper who couldn't do anything to stop it. And unfortunately for Coritiba, they couldn't wait a couple more minutes to get that point which they need. And in contrary, Atletico Paranaense gets three on their side. Yeah, Kurashiba desperately need need points here. They've dropped three games of their last five, and they um, they're hovering just above the relegation zone. Um, just three points separate them and, and Cuiabá. Um, so so it's uh, it's going to be tight, and uh, they need all the points they can get. Um, really, really too bad for them that they uh, they can't come out of this with anything uh anything productive but like you said alex santana great goal outside the box uh lots and lots of uh talent in this Atletico side um and remember they still have the um the you know the um the libertadores final um and kind of the the uh the headlining event of all South American football coming up next. So um, I'm sure that's weighing heavy on their mind and, and that could explain, you know, only having seven points from the last 15 um, after, you know, we've seen they can be an elite team. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they get the three points and and they'll take it um, as they need to recover some form uh, as they go into that Libertadores final. Um, all right. So we uh, will close out the Brasileirao talk uh, on this podcast with a big win for Santos. Uh, Red Bull Bragancino fall um, to Santos, 2-0 um, at, at, uh, at their home in um, Bragancino. Um, Enric, what did you see in this game? And that's two wins in a row for Santos. Um you know, could they make a late push up the table? Yeah, it was a pretty surprising result for Santos. Although we're fans of the team, I didn't expect them personally to win against Bragantino away, even though we won 4-1 last week at home. So Santos won the game, and after watching the first couple of minutes, I definitely thought, okay, we're heading for the loss here as we didn't create many opportunities. And on the other side, Bragancino was the first one to scare us with Helinho shaking the crossbar. And in the second half, our attack woke up compared to the first half. And a perfect counter resulted in Camacho scoring and giving Santos the lead. And then a great ball by Matt helped uh, with the second goal. A player who kept going left and right and keeper didn't know what to do. And the ball finally went to the net. And what a Santos still intent, but progressing through the table. And hopefully, although there was probably 1% chance, I hope that they can reach the Libertadores next year. Yeah, that'd be awesome to see. And, and of course, such an iconic club uh, for South American football needs to be in uh, Libertadores, of course, and, and, and Sudamericana, but but especially Libertadores. Um, like you said, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jalino shaking the bar. That was not a very good start and didn't drum up a lot of optimism in Santos fans, I'm sure. But um, 
But Santos getting it done. Uh, Rodrigo Fernandez, of course, uh, is back in midfield and 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 looked okay, picking up the yellow card. Um, and you said the perfect counter, and absolutely it was perfect. And I just want to call out um, uh, the great steal that led to the Camacho goal. Um, I believe it was from um, uh, Lucas Barbosa or Lucas Braga, um, one of the Lucases. Um, and then it was just off to the races and Camacho finishing the move um, uh, was 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 great to see a kind of a defensive midfield player that doesn't get a lot of offensive opportunities. So so awesome to see. Um, and like you said, the Madsen pass was awesome and then played in Angelo um, wanted to ask. Um, with uh, uh, with kind of this two headed monster and hopefully three headed monster once Soteldo is back. Um, between Marcos Leonardo and Angelo, who do you think is going to command a higher fee? Um, and, uh, you know, who do you think is going to be more successful overall in their, in their career? Sorry, I'm well, kind of putting you on the spot here, but no, that's I'm fine. Curious. Soteldo, by the way, plays on the left wing spot, I believe. Uh, so he would not make any problem for the team which was uh, in the recent game where Lucas Braga played. So Soteldo on the left, Marcos Leonardo on the on the center, and then Angelo on the right. I believe that's going to be an amazing trio. Mm -hmm. Although Leonardo has been scoring many goals in this competition and he's been pretty good for Santos, uh, I think Angelo deserves some respect as well, although he hasn't really gone on the red radar of many European clubs. Both players are pretty good. I'm never, I'm never gonna deny that. But Marcos Leonardo as a striker, I think he's gonna do better for Santos than the Angelo, the number eleven. Yeah, I, I think, I think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting contrast because um, Marcos Leonardo obviously scoring tons of goals, a little bit older as well, um, and Angelo, um, you know, is is just seventeen. Um, but I, I do wonder if um, Marcos Leonardo may be more successful at Santos and possibly a different higher trajectory, um, it, it, you know, should he give, be given the chance to move abroad, uh, which looks likely. And just today I was looking on Twitter and again, this is just from Twitter, so I don't know, but I, um, Angelo uh, was, uh, I think there is um, some sort of right of first refusal um, that Barcelona have on, on Angelo. So I think, uh, Barcelona were looking into him, um, now again, he's not under 18, so he can't yet leave Brazil, uh, for a professional team, but, uh, but Barcelona might be bringing him over, which I know, Enric, that would be exciting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so two great players and honestly, uh, you can't go wrong with either one. So Santos, again, moving up the table, um, also, I just wanted to to, uh, to mention uh, Red Bull Bragantino, obviously from Sao Paulo. Not the team though you met. You'd think there's going to be lots of you know tension in the air, despite it technically being a Sao Paulo derby. But there was there was some pushing and some shoving, and um, uh, there was a pretty horrible challenge by Lucas uh, Evangelista uh, from uh, Red Bull um, that earned him a red. Um, in the dying numbers of the game. And uh, I just wanted to call that out as well, that this 
could be kind of the fourth. I mean, it's already become the first or the fourth or the fifth, excuse me, um, big Sao Paulo team that's uh, in the top flight. But uh, things things could be getting a little chippy as uh, as we progress and as these rivalries uh, start to develop a little bit more. So Yeah, the game got pretty heated, I think, for the fact that they tied the last time they played against us at Villa Belmiro. They tied 2-2, so they were the team under pressure, hoping to get a win, mm -hmm. which they didn't. And at that moment, when they saw that they were down 2-0, then they started going uh, pretty crazy on our players with, as you mentioned, Lucas Evangelista getting a red. But also uh, their side and our side got got three yellow cards each. So both teams were working really hard to fight against the enemy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm sure the next meeting, uh, um, you know, in 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 the Paulista next year, uh, will be just as contentious. So, speaking of the state of Sao Paulo and contentious matches. Enric, I'm going to tee you up for this one. Some big matches this coming weekend, uh, but none bigger than... Santos Corinthians. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Santos Corinthians. How do you feel about that? And uh, do you have any other matches on your radar? I'm feeling pretty optimistic. We're playing at home against a Corinthian side who's been struggling this season. So I can't wait to see how that game's going to go. And going back to my earliest memories of Brazil Rao, I, I remember in 2012, we won 3-2 at home when Neymar used to play. It was a pretty exciting match in the summer, which I loved. And this game always uh, reminds me of that match back then and also the games we had against Corinthians and Copa the Brazil and as well with uh, Copa Libertadores when we lost in semis, I believe in 2012. So a pretty big game. And also I wanted to mention Red Bull Bragantino playing Atletico Paranaense and with Atletico Paranaense who was playing the last match before they had to the Libertadores final against Flamengo next Saturday. So this will be their last run. And the same thing goes for Flamengo, who are playing away uh, against the side, which has been pretty good this season. They're currently at eight, America Mineiro. So we're going to wait and see how Flamengo is going to do in this match. Uh, obviously, they played a rotated side at home against Atletico Mineiro last week. So I'm excited to see uh, uh, how this game is going to play out for them. Yeah, that, those will those will be interesting matches. Um, you know, given given the, the huge final that's coming up. Also, you've got to we've mentioned the big Sao Paulo derby, uh, big derby in Rio as well. Botafogo and Fluminense uh, will be will be going at it. And then uh, just lastly, on on Tuesday next Tuesday, Fortaleza square off against Atlético Mineiro. Um, on paper, you might say kind of a strange matchup. To, to be calling out, but Fortaleza uh, undefeated in their last five. Atletico Monero very shaky, and remember they're only within three points of each other. Um, so Fortaleza with a with a win, um, and uh, provided America loses as well, uh, they could be right on the cusp of Libertadores qualification as well, um, and they could really put themselves in the driver's seat if they want to make that late late season push. So. Um, 
again, tons of tons of action to to still uh, look forward to in the Brasileirão. Um, but we will uh, change competitions, but stay in Brazil. Uh, the showpiece final of uh, of the Copa do Brasil, uh, the second leg is over. Flamengo are champions, although they did it by the skin of their teeth. They did it in a um, penalty uh, shootout. And they, of course, um, played that rotated side against Atletico Mineiro. Um, however, Corinthians, they might have been a little bit more well-rested. Isn't that right, Enric? That's correct. The fact that uh, they didn't sell uh, tickets to the Goyash players uh, gave them a reason not to play the match. The game was postponed, so they had seven days off compared to Flamengo, who actually played three days earlier uh, against Petco Mineiro, a big side from Brazil. Yeah, yeah. So some some trickery going on there behind the scenes, um, and almost immediately it didn't pay off. Flamengo started much better, um, and uh, Pedro scored. Uh, what did you think of that goal? Yeah, pretty good goal coming early in the first half. I believe it was in the seventh minute. So a goal which gave Flamengo the lead and kind of reminded Corinthians, like, uh, okay, you could have tied at home last week, but now it's your chance to keep going and score if you want to challenge a big side like Flamengo in the Maracanã Stadium. And Ray Casio couldn't do anything better uh, to stop that goal from Pedro. Uh, the ball goes below his arm, and I think it was bad defending by Gil and uh, Balbuena. So if they would have defended Pedro better, the goal would have been prevented. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And, and man, we've talked about hostile environments but i would not want to be a corinthians player uh playing in americana uh when i turned on the game it looked like there was a layer of you know super dense fog covering the pitch and of course it was all the smoke from the flares um the crowd was amazing it looked like a packed house except in the section that they um broke off um and you know um corinthians fans didn't have a lot to cheer about in the first half um, but, um, uh, but, uh, Flamengo supporters, of course, did, um, Ahascaeta and Everton Ribeiro also looking very, very good, um, uh, and, and adding to Pedro's, um, attacking options and, and, and Gabi Gol as well, um, looking lively, uh, despite him kind of, uh, sitting, you know, maybe is kind of losing his place as the talisman is uh, of Flamengo. Um, uh, so kind of, kind of interesting. He's been their go-to guy for so long, but, oh, you know, this, this cast of, uh, of players that they have is so powerful and, and, and just loaded with so many stars that, you know, even when they, their talisman supposedly kind of fades to the background, they can, they can still win trophies like this. Um so Flamengo dominate the first half. Um, Enric, what did you think of uh, of the second half? I think in the second half, uh, as soon as Pedro got subbed off, obviously Flamengo had other great players like Arascaeta and Gabigol. But 
as soon as Pedro goes off, Corinthians score, which was pretty surprising, a ball deflected too many times for Santos to instantly react and save. So just like Casio with the conceded goal, Santos couldn't do anything better either. And uh, a shocking performance uh, goes to Roger Geddes, who we mentioned in the last episodes how he's been subbed off uh, many times, maybe in the first half or around the 70th minute. And today, or on the game, Flamengo, we saw the reason why he missed a pretty good uh, opportunity uh, with a ball open net and he mishit it with his shin. And I couldn't believe how that ball didn't go in. Of course, players could miss chances like that, but he also had great opportunities. And the same thing goes to Yuri Alberto. I know he's been scoring a lot of goals for Corinthians, getting them out of the bad situations in the, uh, on, in the league. But just like in the first uh, leg against Flamengo, even in the returning leg, many times he showed signs of selfishness uh, where he had chances to pass the ball and get a, get a goal for sure for the, his team, but refused to do so and hit the ball hard. The, the ball probably goes outside the stadium. So shocking result for uh, Corinthians, although they tied the game but lost in penalties. And I think, as you mentioned, for Gabi Gol, uh, how he's not, not been doing great for Flamengo. I wanted to bring up uh, last year's Olympics for Brazil, mm-hmm. in which I was pretty excited to see him in, with Neymar and other great players. But every time he would play, uh, at times he would get subbed off. And I saw the reason why he has been stuck in Brazil. Uh, and although he played for Inter, I think for a year, and then went to Benfica and came back to Santos and then Flamengo, that's the reason why if you're older than 25, 26, there's no way for you to go to Europe because they're only trying to get those young talents. And Gabi Gol for sure isn't that young talent anymore that he was when he played for Santos many years ago. But I hope he can find his best uh, form and hopefully uh, play for Brazil once more. Yeah, that would be great to see. Um he i think he will recover his form and he it seems to be a very good fit at flamengo and i I think you hit the nail on the head where you know he went to you saw the kind of the attitude issues at inter and benfica and and clubs that simply just didn't want him and didn't care about you know recouping much of the money um they just wanted him away from them um yuri alberto i just want to go back and uh and touch upon a few a few things um again yeah you know you want your striker people say you want your striker to be selfish um you want him to take those chances but i think he he, you said it perfectly he was he was doing he was trying too much he was trying too hard and he uh, just kind of had this um i guess messiah complex where he thought he was going to be the big hero and score the goal and and that kind of led to um some missed opportunities where he could have played the ball rather than taking a shot um Roger Geds, yeah, not a lot to say there. I thought he was lively, um, although I'm pretty biased. I'm a big fan uh, of Roger Geds. Um, and, uh, in fact, I, I wanted him to come to Santos uh, a couple of years ago when he was still knocking about in China. Um, I think there's a lot of talent, um, but, uh, um, but yeah, just an unfortunate game for him. Um, shinned it on uh, the wide-open net. Uh, if he just got any part of his foot on that, I think that would have been the goal right there. 
Um, but unfortunately, it just wasn't to be. Um, Giuliano, though, in the 82nd minute, cutting it a little bit close. They tie it up. Uh, Corinthians tie it up. Um, again, kind of a messy play, and, and Giuliano is right time, right place, and he, he cashes in. Um, and that meant it went to penalties. Enric, how were you feeling when that whistle was was uh, was blown and you knew penalties were coming up next? I think uh, coming as a fan of a European club and watching a lot of European competition, it's good news how players just go to penalties straight after the 90 minutes. In my opinion, there's no reason to keep them playing for much longer. Everybody is exhausted and tired and with no motivation to play unless they find a winning goal, a surprising winning goal in the dying minutes of the whole match. So when that game went to penalties, I was happy to see who's going to be brave and take on and proceed to win the competition. Uh, although uh, it was Felipe Luis who missed the opportunity first for Flamengo, I thought that at that moment, uh, Flamengo were under pressure playing at home and missing the first penalty. So uh, at that time, Santos had to do a better job uh, saving balls and hoping that Corinthians is going to miss at least one. And they did so with Fagner. And then once the penalties went into 1v1 uh, situations, it was Mateus Vital, a talent for Corinthians, who, unlucky for him, uh, missed the chance to score. And at that moment, Flamengo won the competition. Huge credit uh, to former Flamengo or Santos players who currently play for Flamengo. Gabigol, I want to mention also Bruno Enrique, Diago Maia, Marinho, and the coach Durival Jr., who has been a great uh, part of Santos history and congratulations to them for winning Copa to Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just want to echo those congratulations. Of course. Um, want to go back to the penalty shootout. Um, I was feeling nervous, even as a neutral, I had no dog in the fight. I'm not someone who hates Corinthians because they're from Sao Paulo and I was, I like Santos. And, um, and I also don't, you know, I, I feel nothing towards either of these teams. Um, but I was nervous, really nervous going into the penalty shootout. Um, and I was I was thinking it was advantage Corinthians. Uh, they have Casio, big fan of Casio. I know how good he is. He's a Corinthians icon. And we talked about him last week. Just his level of, of experience and, and, and ability is really unmatched in Brazil. Um, and that's why I was thinking advantage Corinthians. Um, and especially when Felipe Luis didn't put it home, um, I thought that might be that might be GG. Uh, but no, um, Flamengo battled back. Um, uh, I think they scored six penalties in a row, um, and uh, all the the big players from them, David Luiz, you'd expect to score with the experience. Everton Rivero, Gabby Goal. Um, Sabolinia, and then the veteran Hodine, uh defender um, cashes in uh, the um, the pen and, and wins Copa do Brasil, their fourth uh, title in their history. Um, so uh, great game, um, nerve-wracking finish, and congrats to Corinthians for making this far. I think they have a great team and and it's too bad they couldn't lock down a title this year, but they'll be they'll be back and and, and um, 
they'll be, I'm, I'm sure, a great team next year as well. But um, Flamengo, again, congrats uh, to them. And uh, we have uh, the Libertadores final to look forward to, um, uh, uh, to see them back in action as they face off against Atletico. So still so much action to get to uh, as the season winds down. Um, but uh, that will conclude the action uh, for the Smoking Steak podcast. Um, thanks again for listening, everyone, and have a great night. <laughs>